Um, my name is Michael Smith, or also known as Mick Smith in some circles. I'm really glad that you're here today. I'm just curious, um, how many of you have already spent time overseas? Raise your hand. Phenomenal. So you could really do this, this breakout instead of me, and hopefully we'll have some interesting things to share. Um, I've been involved in um, international missions for about 100 years. I spent three and a half years in Ethiopia, way back beginning when Haile Selassie was still emperor for the first couple of months that I was there, and then uh, he was overthrown, Marxist revolution, our whole team had to leave. That was with CMF International, which is an Indianapolis-based group, and I spent a total of 23 years with CMF after leaving Ethiopia went to central Java, Indonesia, and spent seven years there, and then spent the last ten years um, as the executive director there. Is this mic on and off? Okay. So is that better? Okay. Let, Let me know if it starts to go out. So I've had a lot of experience in international settings and some really fascinating um. Linda, if you don't mind, find one of the tech people so they can fix this because we're obviously on and off. Um, In the meantime, I will try to speak loudly enough that you can hear. So you're curious about why this particular title for this breakout. Well, I was a rookie missionary in Ethiopia. Of course, as is the case with all first-termers, I was over my head desperately in a very, very complex world with new sights and sounds and smells and tastes, all of which were overwhelming to me, and especially the language. Now, it wasn't a problem about Angelita Jolie. I mean, it would have been cool if she had been there. But look at the way her name is spelled in Amarena, which is the national language that I was to work in. So the language itself was initially a monstrous obstacle to learning the culture and engaging in a sensitive and appropriate way. The alphabet has 231 different characters. Uh, and have any of you have any of you learned Amarinya? Any of you familiar with that? Okay, well that's the same. Amasegnalo is is it right? And so. This thing is on and off, so if somebody can, can fix it. Well, the first thing I do is I check the connectors. Check the connectors. Check the connectors. Sorry, excuse me, everybody. Okay. Check me, con- check me connections. Check, yes. There. Pardon me. Mm-hmm. And that's... Does that seem to be okay? And this is... I don't know about that that's, one. That's twisted in. Okay, let's see if that... Let's, we'll see what happens. Okay, so... One a piece of the good news there is that this language is um, phonetically consistent in an amazing way, which helps address. Now I'm going to get totally tangled here. Here we go. I don't need this, but I did want to step over here. I can do that. The the language is just um, amazingly helpful in that every column down is a consonant, Um, I mean, every row is a consonant, every column across is a vowel sound. 
And so you have the benefits. You, you see little four or five-year-old kids learning, to, to, learning this alphabet, or they call it the Fidel. I think that must have gotten it. That's mine, yes. Okay. I didn't want to You're trying to take my watch? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, so you see these little kids, and you say, okay, my mic has gone off again. The these little kids, and you know if a four- or five-year-old kid can learn to this, then it is hopeful that I can as well. But you start down here. Let's, let's take um, this one, for example, and I want you to repeat after me. This is the way the little Amharic kids do. You repeat the sound right after me. This is a ba. 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 Quickly, please. Boo. Boo. Be. Be. Ba. ba. Be. 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 Bo. Bo. And guess what this one is? A T sound. Ta. ta. Not, not ta, but ta. 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 Tu. tu. Ti. Ta. Te. Tu. To. And so it's, it's great. It makes it much simpler. Now, the little complexity, the wrinkle that comes in, is that in addition to the sounds that we normally make, they have some explosive sounds. So you've got this ta sound here. Right over here you have another ta sound, except it's ta. So, all right, let's go with this one. Ta, u, ti, ta, te, tu, to. And over here we've got a k sound. Ka, ku, ki, ta, ke, ku. And then we have the um, another ka sound, except this one is also explosive. It's ka. So ka, ku, ki, ka, ke, ku, ko. You guys got it. There's nothing to it after that. That's easy. So the, 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 you can imagine how I felt a bit intimidated. So here we go. Struggling with the language, I got far enough along that I was beginning to do a little teaching and preaching. And so in a sermon, I was reading the story of Jesus being baptized by John in the Jordan River. And so I started out and baptized the, is Tatamaka. And I made the slightest little transpositions of two consonants. So instead of saying Tatamaka, I said Takamata, and that is Jesus had diarrhea. You know, and they, they didn't even laugh. I mean, they were sympathetic. They experienced this very often. So unfortunately, this was not my, my last mistake. In fact, it wasn't even my first mistake in language, I was on the way to language school one day in the early months, and I'm still, I'm still off. Okay. Um, I was on the way to language school, and the little children along the side of the road were standing there, and they said, Gursha, Gursha, Mr. Gursha. And so I responded with the word that I knew that sounded closest, and so I said, Wusha, Wusha, and they were saying Gursha, and I was saying Wusha. The difference was they were saying, Gursha, give me a little something. And I was saying, you dog, you dog. <laughs> oh, what a great way to start your missionary ministry, you know. Uh, talk about cultural sensitivity. So I wondered, anything like this ever happened to, to any of you in your experiences? I'd be curious to hear. Yes. Yeah, like what? Tell, tell us a quick story. Maksura 
Maksura means broken. Yes. That's right. Because just a little letter off, you can make a really serious and offensive mistake. Any other any other quick stories about experience you've had with language or cultural nuances that were embarrassing or problematic? Anybody? Yes. Uh, in Ghana, one of the major languages is tree. And it's a tonal language, so the, depending on the tone of voice, uh, uh, the same syllables can mean several different things. And there is a word, papa. Now, if you say papa properly, we are papa, that means you are a wonderful person. You are very good. On the other hand, papa is also the term for the palm frond fan that people use on the coal pot. So if you aren't careful about your intonation, you can be telling somebody you think they're a palm frond fan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I mean, there are so many fascinating examples. And, and as you know, sometimes they can be forgiven and can be funny, but other times they can complicate the relationships. One of the lessons that, of course, we learn along the way is that language is not just sounds or words. These people that we're, go- we're called to serve are not thinking just as we think, but happen, happen to use different words. They're, the language they use is really a window on their world. It's a glimpse of the reality that they experience. It is, the, it's, it is the medium by which their lives hang together with a shared meaning, and it's so important. And one of the, one of the illustrations that I've seen is, all of us know John 3.16, right? Say it. For God so loved the world, the begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Well, in Amharic, it looks quite different. Are you going to fix me? Yeah, just keep talking. Okay. In Amharic, it's quite different um, because if, if you start over here, that is, in him, those who believe, all, eternal life in order that there be to them in order that they not be lost, God, His one and only Son, up to the point of giving, the world that much He loved. So just that verse illustrates the wonderful complexity of the ways our thought patterns work and reflect our reality. A friend who ministered among the Maasai shared this illustration. How, what categories would you use to organize these words and concepts? Nouns, okay, what else? 
How else would you organize them? How would you categorize them? Animal? Yeah. Mineral, plant, so on. Well, the Maasai, according to my friend, would see it a bit differently. For example, they would cluster together man, whale, and lion as things that rule over. Uh, You're not going to like this next one. Um, A woman and cow as things that produce. Uh, You know, cow produces bride price, that sort of thing, to try to recover that one. Um, A dog, deer, and a bush are things not owned by anyone but used by everyone. Germs, virus, demon, God, and angel are things you can't see that can kill you. So, again, just illustrating my perspective on reality is not ultimate reality. My perspective is, is shaped by my experience in the world as is theirs. And so for us to be agents of God's good news, when we lack the language, our greatest disadvantage is not what we cannot say, but what we cannot hear. Because it's only through the process of hearing that we begin that beautiful journey into comprehending and beginning to glimpse the reality of the world in which they live. Along the way, as I wrestled initially in Ethiopia, then later in Indonesia and through my broader CMF involvement in a bunch of places in the world, wrestled with the question, how does the good news of Jesus Christ sound articulated appropriately in this cultural context? How does the good news of Jesus Christ look embodied in this particular cultural context? I eventually discovered that as you read the Gospels, there is no context-neutral expression of good news in the ministry of Jesus. In every occasion... The good news was linked to a particular context. So, for example, when Jesus is confronted by a blind man, the good news has something to do with healing his sight. Or a bereaved widow whose only son had died. The good news connected with raising that son to life. And with a woman with 12 years of bleeding and exclusion and humiliation, Good news had to do with the healing of her body and through that the healing of her relationships and her place in the community. For a curious and ashamed Zacchaeus who climbed up into a sycamore tree, the good news had to do with Jesus simply seeing him. He saw him. He accepted him. He accepted his hospitality. And in each of these contextual settings, the transformation that occurred had to do with the specific expression of brokenness that brought them to Jesus in the first place. So Raymond Fung, who used to write a letter on evangelism for the World Council of Churches, observed then that good news is not good news 
unless it is good news. And then he went on to illustrate that a cup of cold water in Jesus' name is not good news to a person who is drowning. It can only be good news if that person is thirsty. So our challenge as we engage in ministry is to be so discerning, so perceptive that we can see the brokenness, the need, and to, to recognize the, through the leadership of God's Spirit what expression of good news is going to really resonate as good news. So I, I, I'm trying to share with you an image of what engaged cross-cultural effective ministry might look like. But for all of us, even those of us who spend a good bit of time in different cultural settings, part of the question is, okay, how do you get there? How do you get to the point of that kind of deep and effective engagement? So I'm wondering, what, from your experience, what are the essential ingredients to move toward or to continue to grow in cultural sensitivity and gospel effectiveness? Being a learner. Being a learner, absolutely. Humility. Humility, perfect. What else? A sense of humor. Absolutely, a sense of humor, yes. Observation, yes. Great. You folks have nailed the, the very things that I wanted to share. Um, there, there really is a, found, a spiritual foundation because, as you have said already, the path in that direction is not a set of techniques. It's like Tim said earlier with his iceberg illustration. 90% of it is character. It's a way of being. You know and may have observed or, as in my case, been an offender, of, of bringing a lot of arrogance and presumption into ministry. Something about our American culture tends to, to assume that we're going to make it happen. We're going to get in there. We're going to take action. Only going to be there eight days. It doesn't matter. I'm going to get in there and make things. And so humility is such a powerful part. I'm, I'm often inspired as I reread the Gospels that Jesus interacted with people in a way that was based on a profound respect for the dignity of who they are as children of God. And that humility is an essential starting point for our ministry. And the learner notion is, is exactly right. As, who was it that said that? Somebody over here. Um, that, that, that's essential. A number of years ago, I was consulting with a denomination in England, and um, I kept seeing this kind of a little sign plastered on the sides of vehicles. You know what that is, don't you? That's a learning how to drive. That's right. On, in the uh, British Commonwealth countries, this sign is an indicator warning this vehicle is under control of a learner. And I also saw a little Winnie the Pooh bear that I bought, just a little tiny one that had this clutched in his hands right on the front. And I adopted this as a motto and would urge you to do your own every time you're engaged in cross-cultural ministry to see yourselves first and foremost and always a learner. When I'd been living in Indonesia a number of years, was living in a Muslim village up on 4,000 feet up on the slopes of Mount Merapi, an active volcano, and... Um, 
I was talking to the village leaders and I said, you know, I need to have a Javanese name. And so they consulted among themselves and came up with the name. They called me Pa or Mr. Siswo Buono, which means a, a learner from around the world. And I loved that because also providentially that term Siswo in the Javanese New Testament is the term that's used for disciples of Jesus. And so as disciples, it is our DNA to be constantly learning. I love the stories in the 10th and 11th chapters of Acts when Peter went to Simon's house and you remember he saw the vision of the sheep, uh, of the sheet that came down, Peter kill and eat. There were in, in a chapter there, there were about 10 occasions, about five occasions in chapter 10 and 11 of God intervening and the basic message to Peter who was so confident that he knew God and he knew what God liked and didn't like, the message to Peter was, Peter, your experience of God is not God. Only God is God. And so for us as learners, our experience of life, even our experience of good news, as powerful as it is for us, my experience of good news is not the fullness of God's good news. So remain a learner. And you mentioned being an observer. Cultivate the spiritual discipline of paying attention wherever you are all the time. And one of the great things for us as we anticipate engagement or re-engagement in cross-cultural ministry is that these disciplines are things that we can practice right now. We don't have to wait until we wake up somewhere where people are saying Salamat Pagi instead of good morning. You can do it right now where you are. Cultural sensitivity fundamentally begins with being present. Somebody said, wherever you are, be there. Which is not bad advice. Because especially in a very action and results-oriented world, we're tempted to prefer the purpose-driven life. And that has been really valuable for a lot of us. But how about the notion of a presence-minded life along the way so that we are keenly alert all the time? It's very, very easy for us to be lost in thought, isn't it? Have you ever been driving on a road trip sometime and all of a sudden you're driving and you say, where am I? I No idea because I was lost in thought. And whether it's behind the wheel or anywhere else in our life, any time that we are lost in thought, we are lost to life. We are lost to the present moment. We have missed the admonition to be still and know. To be still and know. To be aware of God's presence. A number of years ago, I had started a teaching position at a seminary down in Tennessee. And on day one, I was carrying my boxes of books up to my office. Professor, you've got to have your books there. 
So I was trotting up and down the hall, up and down the hall. Finally, one of the students grabbed me and said, Mick, you're missing all the people. And she was exactly right, because I was obsessed with my task, and I was not present at all. I love Thoreau's quote, Only that day dawns for which we are awake. And that's wisdom that I think Jesus knew when on several occasions in the gospel, he rose long before dawn and he went aside to pray. So the question for us, if if we're really concerned with cultural sensitivity, intercultural sensitivity is, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are you feeling? What are you thinking? I remember as a rookie missionary getting caught up in that um, that presumptuous notion that, well, we're going to take God to these people in Ethiopia. Guess what, folks? God got there before me. And so eventually I learned that our challenge is to look for the footprints of God, look for the ways that God is very much alive and at work in the lives of the people to whom God is calling us. Yes, there's still brokenness there, just as there is in me and in the people from whom I came. But God is at work there. And so learning to recognize that, I think it's a wonderful exercise anytime we're on a mission trip, whether it's a 20-year or 25-year trip of service or a 10-day trip that every day a part of our process is a time of reflection and preferably a group conversation where together we are, we are bringing to, to words, to light, answers to that question, where have you seen God at work? Where have you seen God's spirit alive in the lives of these people? What are the areas of brokenness? What kinds of good news are going to sound like and feel like good news to the people here? Well, I wanted to talk a little bit just about some very practical tools. Language learning. How many of you um, are fluent in more than one language? Good deal. That's, that's terrific. Uh, our old language teacher used to talk about monolingual myopia which is a disease of the tongue that affects the eye. Because our inability to speak a different language sometimes limits how, how perceptive we are. So learning language and culture in a very active way is, is a very, very important part of, of uh, being able to see the path to language. Um, some of you are familiar with the LAMP approach, language acquisition made practical, a bunch of us in CMF years ago got to study with Tom and Betty Sue Brewster who wrote that. Great little program developed out of the Toronto Institute of Linguistics that teaches you essentially how to learn another language using the same methodology that you used as a child, which includes using your ears a lot more than your mouth to begin with and then doing a lot of mimicking and then lots and lots of practice. Have you, have you ever noticed when you're around a little six or eight-month-old child how they're doing language practice? 
It may be unintelligible in terms of any language that you know, but sometimes they'll be babbling along with an obvious uh, intonation pattern that reflects a question or a comment or a joke or, or something. And these little kids are learning language, sort of the Lamaze method, the, the natural uh, way. So with the LAMP approach, there's a four-step language learning cycle. And the beauty of this is if you have eight hours a day to devote to language study, you can use this. If you have one hour a day to devote to language study, you can use this as well. Four steps. Get what you need, practice what you got, use what you practiced, and then evaluate. And here's, here's what it looked like. Um, when when um, I went to Ethiopia, did a fairly traditional language school kind of setting and worked okay. But I took this LAMP course in, after we left Ethiopia before we went to Indonesia. And Indonesia did a five-month study program in Bahasa, Indonesia, and then used it as a bridge language to, to use this LAMP approach. So here we go. Day one, moved into the little town of Boyolali and found a retired government worker to be my language helper. You don't want to get a teacher to help you because a teacher assumes that they are going to take responsibility for your learning. But in the LAMP approach, you as the learner, remember, have responsibility for shaping your language learning. And so you've developed the tools for that. So day one, got Pat Joyo to help me. And I explained to Pat Joyo, I need to be able to introduce myself, tell basically what I'm up to, and get out of the situation. So I got what I need. Pat Joyo helped me put together a text in Javanese that was not baby talk. Now, I could not grammatically analyze that, but he assured me that I was saying in fairly simple, but again, not baby talk ways, how to introduce myself and so on. So I got what I needed. Then I practiced it long enough until Pat Joyo said, okay, I understand you. It sounds like decent Javanese. Step three is use what you practiced. The program requires you get onto the street and say your spiel to at least 15 native speakers in the community. Scary, scary. So here I go. I step out first time, and I say in the best Javanese I have learned in my little spiel, hello, my name's Mick. I'm learning to speak Javanese. That's all I can say. Goodbye. <laughs> now, you mentioned la a sense of humor. One of, one of the principles is you've got to be able to laugh at yourself because others certainly will. <laughs> so, um, so did that 15 people. And if you have learned your text well enough, then they're going to rattle off some other questions. Assuming you know more, you just replay your last line. That's all I can say. <laughs> Goodbye. And by the time, of course, the next day, you go back home, you evaluate, meet with Pat Joyo the next morning and say, okay, I need to go a little step further with that. And so you just sort of snowball on it. You build, you add to what you learned the day first. So 
Second day, you go out, you get to stage three. Hello, my name is Mick. I'm from America. I'm learning to speak Javanese. Please correct me if I make a mistake. That's all I can say. Goodbye. (laughs) But the fun thing, those of you who've lived in developing countries know that little children will come to you like, like a magnet. And so there they are. And by the time you get to your third customer, they have all mimicked your speech. They have memorized your speech. And they start, when you open your mouth, they say, hello, my name is, you know. And, and it can be a really frustrating but also a joyful kind of experience. A part of the beauty of this methodology is that you are learning language in the context of relationships. Because day after day, you go back to some of the same people in the same communities, and they begin to take you on as a project. And they want to get to know you. And they're the ones who give you new vocabulary words you need to take back to your language helper and say, what does this mean? I think in context, here's what it is. But you're learning in the context of relationships. And as you know, relationships are the womb in which growth and change can occur, both in our own lives as newcomers and in the lives of the people to whom God has called us. Parker Palmer was the one who, that I first heard talk about the, the important relationship between the word truth and the old English word troth. Some of you remember the old traditional wedding vows, And here too I pledge thee my troth. Same root concept. Parker Palmer notes that truth is inseparable from faithful relationships. And so for those of us who are bringing a truth, the good news of Jesus Christ, into a different context, those relationships are vitally important. And it's in relationships that together we can have transforming experience of the good news. Okay, let me just stop here for a minute. See, what what kind of questions or comments do you have? I've been rattling for a long time. Questions, comments, observations that may, may help us at this intersection? Yes, Jean? teacher. Unfortunately, he was a teacher, and he had never taught expatriates his language before. Um, And he did not want to teach simple, simple language, the kind of thing that we actually needed. We had another problem. Um, I had studied several languages. My husband had not. Uh, He claims English is a foreign language. (laughs) And and so here we were, and what we did not know was the traditional British methods of teaching involved taking the best student in the class and making fun of everybody who doesn't measure up. Oh. Now you see the potential for disaster. Um, The way we solved this, in case somebody else gets into this problem, we were able to find an extremely gifted uh, teacher who had infinite patience, probably one of the best teachers we've ever known. He was a teacher, but he had taught many expatriates the Chui language. 
So what we did was we took the man who, whom the National Church had found and we said, you know, you really are so advanced. Let, let us find a remedial teacher for my husband. <laughs> so we got Bob out of this bad situation. He went off. He was thrilled. This other man was wonderful. And, and I stayed with the man whom the National Church had found. That way his, we preserved face for him. And I solved the problem with him by, by, I had to structure it a little. I had to say, okay, I'm going to go to the post office. Now, what's the language I need for the post office? I want to take a taxi. How am I going to, if I go out and I stand in front of my house and I have to speak to the taxi driver in Shui to get between here and the government hospital, what's the language? And so in case anybody else gets stuck in that same situation, because you're right, and if you get... We were fortunate. The one man was a teacher, but he was a good one. But getting a teacher otherwise, it is a terrible... And you've illustrated, too, the get what you need. I need to get to the post office. And so rather than beginning with an abstract, massive, impossible challenge of I need to learn this language, you you learn how to communicate just some, some basic amounts and build on that. I'd like to invite you to, to, to think in a little different direction right now, again under this umbrella of cross-cultural sensitivity in Good News Ministries. Many, how many of you are healthcare professionals? Great, great. Uh, or en route to, to be a healthcare professional. Well, the, I think this hopefully will be helpful. I think we have to ask the question, culturally sensitive toward what end? And this will, will make sense in a minute. Good news, Jesus style. I, it is easy for us to forget that Jesus came in the tradition of the prophets. You remember where the, the role the prophets played in the Old Testament life? God's people Israel had been called together, exodus um, from slavery in Egypt, the long journey toward the promised land. The prophets consistently, God spoke through to, to address two particular problems. One was idolatry. You need to love and serve only God. But the other area was injustice. The prophets called them to treat your neighbors justly, especially the widows, orphans, and the strangers. And so the, the message of the prophets gets so stunning that you have this stark challenge from through Amos. And this is from the, the message. So, But listen to this. I, I couldn't help thinking of this as we've been so lifted up in our worship. I can't stand your religious meetings. And this is the voice of God now. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. And so against the backdrop of those two fundamental messages, messages of the prophet, 
How did Jesus answer when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbors as yourself. And so when Jesus begins his ministry, his very first sermon, Synagogue in Nazareth, reads from the prophet Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was defining himself in terms of a corrective ministry of justice and transformation. And so, as Stephen Wright says, it seems like the common modern definition of justice is making strong laws and locking up people who don't follow them. But the biblical meaning of justice is making sure that all people in society have equal access to food, shelter, a living wage, and the opportunity to live with dignity. Do you suppose any of that was a part of the backdrop when Jesus' disciples asked him to teach us to pray that at the core of that prayer, he taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, which means Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A number of years ago, I was struggling with my own understanding of the gospel. I was talking to Bob Russell, who at the time was senior pastor of this church, a longtime friend, and I said, Bob, I'm just so agonized. We, t- we Americans tend to split the gospel up and say, well, it's got to be either the spiritual healing and transformation and salvation or the physical. In Jesus' eyes, wasn't it all one? And he said, Mick, my vision is that 30 years from now, government leaders, sociologists from all over the country are going to be coming to Louisville to figure out why it is that in this town, our, we have such lower rates of violent crime, drug abuse, school dropouts, teen pregnancy, spousal abuse, divorce, And their research is going to take it to the doors of our churches and to the homes where our believers are gathered, studying and praying so that they can live into this prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in Louisville as it is in heaven. And so when we ask the question, culturally sensitive toward what end, how would it be? If we envisioned culturally sensitive to the end of being agents of God's coming kingdom with all of its wholeness, that would include spiritual transformation and healing of brokenness in all of its manifestations. So, everywhere Jesus was moved with compassion. Because He was paying attention. He did have his eyes and mind and heart open. He was paying attention. And so he was moved again and again with compassion. And in the organization I work for, Bread for the World, 
we, we, pay, we notice that there is one miracle that Jesus performed that shows up six times in the four Gospels. Which was it? Feeding of the multitude. Sometimes it was 4,000, sometimes 5,000, but basically the same story. And Jesus had compassion. And from my perspective, when we live in a world as we do, in which in this 24-hour period, 16,000 children around the world will, who are under five years old will die of a hunger-related condition, God's will is not yet being done on earth as it is in heaven. So a glimpse of thy kingdom come. And so, again, this question, cultural sensitivity to what end? If we're thinking toward the end of isolated spiritual conversion, and I hope you're not hearing me say that the spiritual is not important because I am absolutely not. But I'm, I see that God has created us in an amazingly integrated body, mind, and spirit that cannot be separated. If, we're, if our thought is cultural sensitivity toward a spiritual con- uh, conversion, then we're looking at individuals. If it's toward thy will be done on earth as it, in he- as it is in heaven, then we see that individual in a much broader context and the focus of our ministry looks at those complex realities. And so in addition to when we are called to ministries of healing, it's healing that also changes the circumstances that perpetuate disease and pain and hunger and poverty. And we remain alert to systemic and structural issues and this justice factor that I was talking about. Romans 14.7 talks about the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but is dikaiosune in the Greek, which we usually translate as righteousness. It is also translated as justice. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but justice and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so through these paths, my prayer is that God will open our eyes to to see these broader systemic factors that God is is calling us to be agents in healing as well. If some of you are interested in that concept, for short-term teams especially, there's a good resource I have at our Bread for the World booth um, that, is, that helps short uh, um, mission teams keep cultivate an eye for those justice factors that are impinging on the brokenness and the needs of the people that we're uh, called to serve. So, booth 2306 upstairs if, um, if any of you are interested more about that. So let me just wrap up by sharing a couple of other resources for cultural sensitivity if you're not already aware of these. Foreign to Familiar by Sarah Lanier and Third Culture Kids for any of you who have children that are involved in your ministries. And by the way, I was going to say, I'm going to upload this to our website, the PowerPoint to our website later. So if you're interested in some of those details, you can. So, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen His glory 
the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Thank you.